I'm Ashley, the program coordinator. Yes, this meeting is being recorded. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm Ashley, the program coordinator for the Writers Guild Southern Office. In addition to being a fiction and nonfiction writer, I am an avid reader. So the themes around Freedom to Read Week are very dear to my heart. And I thank all of you for coming to participate in this important discussion about banning and censoring books. Um, my co-host Jason Norman will pop on in a bit here too. And he is a author based in Edmonton and he does events and um, programming for the Writers Guild as well. Uh, and then also uh, as panelists today, we have Kate Gibson, Lisa Murphy-Lamb and Majeen Matherin. Um, so Kate Gibson, Kate received her MLIS from McGill University in Montreal before working at the Richmond Public Library in BC. After a year and a half there, she took up teaching English in Japan and finally settled down at the Edmonton Public Library in 2010. Kate is currently the manager of the Strathcona branch, the chair of Capital City Press, EPL's initiative to support, support local writers, and board president of LitFest, Canada's original nonfiction festival. Welcome, Kate, and thank you so much for coming. And then next up, we have Lisa Murphy-Lamb. She is an author, community builder, literary arts literary and arts pr programmer. As former owner of Loft 112, a literary community and art space in Calgary's East Village, Lisa won the Mayor's 2021 Sandstone City Builder Award and in 2022, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee Award. Important to building community, Lisa is forever on the hunt for interesting and important stories to bring us together. She does not censor her little free library. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you for being here. And then next we have Majeen Matherin. She is a Haitian-born spoken word artist and patient advocate. She's a person for whom the love of language and the alchemy of words is second nature. Her multilingual upbringing, French, Creole, and English, not only prompted her to begin experimenting with the potential and magic of language, but naturally compelled her into a deep love of poetry. Her work has been featured in CBC, Global TV, Skirts of Fire Festival, and the Edmonton Poetry Festival. She was selected as a participant in the 2022 mentorship program with the Writers Guild of Alberta and currently serves as a mentor with the Horizon Circle Writers Program. Thank you so much, Majeen, for being here. Uh, so I just wanted to jump in quick, uh, first of all, here. Um, so Kath, Kate, as your experience as a librarian, uh, I would love to hear um, just first of all, I guess your thoughts of all this crazy stuff that's going on down south and um, just the process of when a book is challenged and what is a librarian's role when this happens. For sure. Um, so to start with, like challenging materials that libraries have is not new. Um, it has always happened. Um, it happens multiple times a year here at Edmonton Public Library. Uh, looking at our lists and last year we had 13 books challenged. Um, or pieces in the collection, not necessarily books. Um, and a lot of times they are coming from a place where someone is just concerned uh, about the content, about it reaching sort of a younger age than maybe it should. Um, a lot of times it's very innocuous like that. Um, and, and sometimes when a book is challenged, we do move it from one place to another. We're like, oh, that you're right. That shouldn't be in maybe the pre-K section. That should be in the teen section. Um, so when a book is challenged, um, at the library. Most libraries have a form that we ask people to fill out. Um, we have it um, available online. Um, and of course, all the the staff at the, the desks when you come into the library can uh, supply with that. We like to have a conversation just to make sure people understand the process um, because it's not 
I'm not going to go and take that book off the shelf right now if you if you have a, a, a concern about it. It does go through a vetting process. Um, we ask you to fill out a form that um, really gets to the heart of why you think this book is either in the wrong place or shouldn't be on our shelves at all. So we can understand where you're coming from. And then we take a look at the concerns, at the item, at reviews, at if there is sort of age ranges, all those kind of things go into our decision making, as well as our own selection criteria um, for what it is we collect as a public library. Um, and then we we respond. And most of the time, the response is this fits with our mandate as a public library, and we're going to keep it on the shelves for these reasons. Um, we understand your concern, um, but uh, a library has to serve a multitude of people and present a multitude of opinions. And so this is why it's going to stay. But like I said, sometimes it does mean, you know what, this movie that we classified as, as a kid's movie is actually teen. So we're going to move it into the teen area. Um, so that's usually the process as it happens here at EPL and at many libraries across Canada. Um, what is happening in the States is a bit more, it's a bit scarier in some ways uh, because there is laws being passed that allow people to be fired for not uh, taking a book off a shelf or for even expressing opinion about certain topics. So librarians are suddenly being put in this position where they're afraid for their jobs. Um, I'm not afraid when a customer comes and, and has a complaint or a challenge or just some sort of concern. I'm not concerned that I'm gonna lose my job because of this interaction, but librarians in some areas are. And I think that's scarier because a challenge book can be, we can talk through it, we can say this, but all of a sudden librarians are gonna start maybe not even buying the books. And so it's censorship that's happening kind of in the underground, you can't see it. And it's whose, whose works are just not being heard because people are afraid of what might happen. And so that's, that's scary to me. Um, obviously, we hear about things like mouse being um, being challenged and banned in some places and um, horrible. I mean, it's a wonderful graphic novel. Art Spiegelman just talked last night for UPL about um, all of that. But people hear about that. It gets challenged. It gets taken on the shelf. People go and buy his books. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but if it's, you know, a librarian just deciding, oh, you know, what, I'm not going to buy that book about two gay parents. That doesn't get heard about. That is something that censorship happening just in the background and no one ever knows and what marginalized voices aren't being heard because of fear and that scares me quite a bit. Uh, Kate, Sorry, I, had a question. I had a question yeah. about, can you give the 20 second synopsis on why mouse gets banned from, um, from certain libraries? It's, it's interesting. I mean, obviously the, the topic, some, some, from what I understand, from what, uh, this is going to be longer than 20 seconds, sorry. Uh, uh, some of it is the, the content itself. It is it is a scary topic. It is about the Holocaust. And there are some very descriptive panels in there about what happened to people in Auschwitz. Um, it is done as little mouse characters, um, but it still is quite harrowing. But I have heard there's like one, one challenge is the fact that there's a part where you can see full frontal mouse nudity. And that was actually what it was being challenged about. And that I was like, oh, if, if you read Mouse and that's what you got offended by, you're missing the point of Mouse. Um, that's not what should be worrying you about this story. What should be worrying you is those mice are naked and skinny because they're about to be sent to the gas chamber. And that is more concerning and actually something we need to, to make sure people don't forget about. So yeah. It's, it's the same thing I heard as well is that there was a naked cartoon mouse 
that but is that the do you hear anything about uh, do you hear anything any you know rumors whispers about people wanting to actually pass laws in Canada that are are close to what is happening in the in the states especially like Florida and Texas I haven't um, personally I mean I'm, I'm not necessarily in the conversations where those might be happening I'm sure there are people that would like to do that I mean, it wouldn't surprise me but um, I haven't heard any concerns um, about it sort of that have filtered down to me. Um, we just posted uh, a blog yesterday on the EPL website about why it's important, why intellectual freedom and, and freedom to access information is, is this a thing that we care about and is a thing that libraries across Canada uphold. And so um, that's kind of where we're at right now. But I'm sure there, I'm sure there are a few people out there who would like to see it happen. So thank you, Kate. Yeah, um, I actually looked through the list of um, like the Edmonton, the EPL list of like, historically, which have been challenges. challenges. Yeah. I just found it quite interesting. It is. Um, I think the only one that I saw that actually got removed was just because it had like misinformation about yes. vaccines, which, you know, yeah. that makes sense. Like that yeah. makes so much sense to me. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's really, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's rare that things get withdrawn. It really is because this is outdated information. And that's something we want to make sure our collection is up to date. Um, so that's yeah. Yeah, the only one I've noticed. But like I said, a few times recataloging. Um, but yeah. Yeah, which makes yeah, which makes sense to me. It does. Thank and that so is much. that is fully acceptable. We do like to share like our reasoning behind why we do every yeah, decision. Yeah, I found that so spreadsheet really interesting. Yeah. I was yeah. I think um maybe I'll try to find a link before this is over and put it in the chat for people because I found it really interesting. I've got it here. I can throw it in the chat. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I, I always found it, I found it very fascinating. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for that, Kate. Um, and Lisa, I know that you had one of your own books banned in Texas, and I would love to hear more about that and your experience with having your own content censored. Oh, you're muted. Thank you. Um, yes, uh, and thanks, Kate, for talking about it at the library, uh, the Alberta library level. Um, we as a family uh, had the adventure of moving to Texas, Houston in particular, for a couple of years and um, did not quite know what we were getting ourselves into um, at the school level. So uh, at the time, my youngest son, Charlie, was in the second grade and he was invited to at some point quite early um, after getting there um, he he was the student of the week and so he was invited to bring things about himself um, to the school I think he had a bulletin board or a section of the classroom where he was allowed to bring things about himself to introduce himself to the rest of the classroom and so uh, one of the things that he brought was a book that I had written in 2003 called The Dinosaur Hunters. Because um, you know, he wanted to brag about his mom being a writer. And I think it was there a couple of days and then it was returned home in a brown paper bag um, from the teacher with a note saying, we can't have this in the classroom. It has content in it that we don't find acceptable. Um, mainly being dinosaurs. And then I think also there was some drinking and smoking that some of the paleontologists might have engaged in. And so it had to come back 
um, in a brown paper bag, no less. So um, that was kind of exciting as a writer to have a book that was censored. Uh, so being there a little bit longer, um, we learned a little bit more about the process of Texas. Um, and things might have changed um, now, but this was sort of uh, around 2006, I think. Um, so a lot of teaching is done through textbooks. Um, it a lot of teaching relies on textbooks. And because Texas is so um, has so many students, it has such a large population. I think Texas and California, but primarily Texas, um, there's the most sales of textbooks there. So um, they sort of control what happens with textbooks because um, the writers of textbooks, the publishers of textbooks want to make sure that Texas is happy. And so uh, so they they have um, they have like the um, the consulting groups uh, of what's going in the textbooks comes from Texas and they aren't necessarily, educators or professors or those involved, they can be members of the community and they often are members of the community, um, often right-wing religious um, people and people of affluence. And um, so uh, they can control what goes in to the, into the textbooks. And so in 2009, I know that there was um, the leadership, um, the chair leader, who um, believed that evolution is hooey. And um, this, this was a person, a decision maker. And so, um, and that was, he was in, in charge of the new science curriculum um, and what went into the textbooks. And, uh, and I know that during the social studies and the history, I remember being there and hearing that there was a group around the table and they were deciding which historic figures were gonna make it into, and I don't know which grade, but the, the actual conversation was like, well, I've never heard of him or I've never heard of her. It can't be that important. We don't need to include them into the curriculum. And so, so I mean, there was censorship right at the, at the level of writing of the curriculum um, and, the, and the textbooks at the beginning. But when I was doing a bit of research just to make sure that my memory I was not was fact, um, I, I looked into, um, I, I didn't know the story at the time, but I guess it started ever since the 1960s. Um, this has been going on in Texas because there was the right wing that was really worried about the indoctr indoctrination of the godless secularism. And also that the, that, that the government wasn't being too, um, um, there wasn't too much propaganda, but there was a, I guess a, an oil company clerk by the name of Mel Gabler and his wife, Norma, who actually began their, the textbook crusade at their kitchen table. Um, and so they were the leaders of the first wave of the censorship. Um, and they brought their supporters to the state board of education meetings and rolling their scroll of shame, which listed their objections they had for the content of the current um, reading material in the textbooks. And at times their scroll was 54 feet long, their scroll of shame. So. Um, yeah, so that's, that's why, so that's why it's especially in Texas and it's, you know, not surprisingly, it's a numbers game. It's, um, the textbooks are being produced there. They're being sold, um, there. And so that's why they have the sort of the most influence in Texas. And yes, my book got banned. 
And teachers and, don't, they don't have a lot of pushback. They're told what to do. Um, and so, yeah, it got sent home in a paper bag. So dinosaurs, like, are what's the deal with dinosaurs in Texas then? Like, are there, <laughs> are there, are they a fantasy creation then? Or are they not even allowed to talk about dinosaurs? Well, I was under the impression at the time um, that they couldn't talk about dinosaurs, that it was not part of the curriculum. But I don't know if that's fact. I think there's probably, there has been times for sure that I think that evolution was not taught, that it was creation creationism based. I think for sure that that is happens and it probably happens in areas and certainly and probably in some of the private schools, it's taught. But I don't think across the board that creationism is taught, but I know that it's probably still a hot conversation um, that happens there. But I, yeah, but I think it's still, I think maybe there's probably even times where there's just not either taught because I think there's fear of um of the pressure that's in the community um and i think a lot of censorship happens because of fear you know if you get a parent group in or if you get a mel gabler and his wife in um people will will censor stuff because there's fear as what's going on in florida right now um i mean who is where is this pressure coming on librarians and school teachers as well um and so I'm sure there's teachers out there who have not covered up their books and there's librarians out there who've not covered up their book stacks. Um, but I think there's a lot who have based on fear. So um, I think creationism is still a hot topic in, in Texas for sure, but I don't think it's across the board. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That is so interesting and yeah. I mean, of course, the money made from selling these books is going to play a part. I just didn't, I didn't really think about that. But of course, like it makes so much sense, but it just, it's just so crazy when really the education of children should be the main priority, right? It's just, yeah. 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 So it starts right at the, it starts right at the, um, at the writing of the textbooks, the censorship. Yes. That's yeah. crazy. I never really thought about it that way. Thank you, Lisa. Um, Jean, I would love to hear from you as an artist um, and how censorship affects kind of the, the art creative process and if you've kind of had any experiences with censorship in your in your career. Yeah, um, I was just still thinking about this conversation or what you, you shared, Lisa, just around fear. Um, it reminded me of um, something I read that from Toni Morrison, um, and because she she was part of this collection of essays, um, I'm trying to remember what the name of the, the I think I think the collection of essays was called Burning Books, and it was actually a, around um, advocating for um, for um, you know it, it basically was a collection of different authors who wanted to write about um, um, advocating for freedom of speech. Um, yeah, it's called Burning This Book, I think. And in it, um, one thing that she says is 
uh, fear of unmonitored writing is justified because truth is trouble. And I found that quote really powerful and and um, and and a stark reminder of the necessity to 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 share works that are that provoke people to ban like to 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 go to the point where they don't want that to be heard um in my own work um i don't i don't i've never to my knowledge like i don't like to my knowledge it hasn't affected any of my writing but one thing i do have to say is that i think i think the as you know as I'm writing, I do think that often there are topics or there are topics that I, I want to write about that I worry might like might push um, might antagonize people or, or might uh, cause that level of friction. And um, and I never really thought about like how you know, just learning or or just like hearing about banned books, how that can affect your own like editing when you choose like which topics to to delve into as a as a writer. Um, and um, I feel like I'm realizing this now as we speak. <laughs> so, um, which is which is really interesting um, to think about. Um, when I was looking at the list of different books that have like top books that have been banned, especially in the States, there are two books that come to mind. One that I guess is American, but the other one is actually, um, I wanted to talk about like the book of Negroes in particular by Lawrence Hill. Um, it's a book that was published, I believe it was like in 2012. And I, I read it, I read, I think it's 2012. I read the book around like 2013, I want to say, and 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 it was the title that that grabbed my attention. Um, and I remember I, I remember reading it and realized and it wasn't up like the the book in and of itself really changed the way that I viewed black Canadian history. Um, and um, and he made a huge difference in the way that I just interacted with, um, I don't know, he just made me appreciate that history um, in ways that I don't think I would have if I didn't read that book. Um, when I looked more into the, that particular book and the history of it, whether it was banned or not, one thing I learned was that um, apparently there was a group in Suriname in Amsterdam that uh, threatened to burn the book because of the title, um, not because of the content, but because of the title, which I found really interesting. And their argument was more around how it depicted Black people in the wrong way. It was, a, um, but one of the things that, that um, Lawrence Hill argued when it came to the he was very he was very uh, set on on having that as the title of the book because it was it was an actual book it was historically facts that that was a book that um 
that 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 was the title of the book <laughs> and so you know it, it it's not like i don't know i think sometimes we think that it's like this big idea as to why people want to provoke but honest but like sometimes truth is 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 shocking and um and and so i think recognizing like how much that that really impacted me impacted the way that i viewed the world along with Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye um, is the other book that I wanted to talk about just because for me as a quiet girl living in growing up in Calgary um, I The Bluest Eye was actually the first book one of the first books I've read when I was 16 um, that that centered someone that looked like me in a way that I don't think other books ever ever did, and and I know that like um, and what's interesting is like I never really thought about it being banned, uh, but over time I learned that the reason why it was banned was because the bluest eye was challenged as for having depiction of child uh, sexual abuse and um, sexually explicit content and. What was interesting to me was when I read the book and, you know, there were those parts that described sexual abuse. It was my, it was the first time as a 16 year old that I actually saw that as abuse. Like as, and, and for me that actually opened my eyes to actually be more open, more to recognize what abuse was even as a, as a young person. And so for me, that informed me as I moved through life to actually recognize those things. Not only did, did it center someone that looked like me and in the way that the, the injustices that happened as a black person, but also just like like that that in and of itself to me also equipped me to to move through the world in a way that was more um, with greater insight because of this book. And so um and so I will forever be grateful for for works like tw the works that Toni Morrison puts out because it 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 really it I think in those moments where I hesitate to write as truthfully as I possibly can I think about those those authors and 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 they give me more courage to 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 tell to tell the truth and to tell it plainly and as honestly as I possibly can um, I don't know if I answered your question, but I just wanted to share that. <laughs> I feel like I didn't, but <laughs> it's a good it's a good time. It's a good time to get to all of that that you got to. I think I, I had a I'm gonna try not to make it a three-part question, but a, a two-part question. You're talking just based on everything you like just said, just up into the last word, thinking about all the ways that being a writer can be or being an artist can be, uh, or how writers and artists can be politically involved talking about banning books and censorship is one of the ways that we're actually directly involved in our own kind of art form. It's how we can be politically involved in that because it's literally kind mm -hmm. of, you know, so, but I'm wondering just first, the first part of it is, do you see yourself as somebody that wants to be a, a political writer or wants to be involved like that? Or do you feel like it's the, you know, the fight is coming to you more than you go, you go into mm -hmm. the fight itself? That's a good question. Um, 
I feel like my 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 existence is political. <laughs> like that quote, there's a quote that says that where you know, as you navigate through the world, um, as I navigate through the world, I want to just speak for myself. Um, as you know, as a as a black woman, um, everything. I think it naturally, I think it naturally gets to that simply because of the way that the world is, if that makes sense. Like, I think um, it's never, it's like, it's never intentional, but, but I don't want to say it's never intentional because I do think that it is intentional. Cause I think, I think in my writing, I tend to want to write about things that I, I don't see people talk about. And, and those are the things that motivate me to write more than anything um and and for that reason i would say that it it is political uh because it's it's about exposing the voices that aren't being heard the stories that get you know uh tucked to the side and silenced and so to answer your question yes <laughs> The, the second part is, so we're the, you know, we're the Writers Guild of Alberta. You've worked with us before and, and things like that. We, you know, and I'm just thinking about how do writers in general, um, what can writers do in the face of, like, I mean, in your opinion, not, you know, but like, what can writers do in the face of the stuff? Like what I was saying before we started recording was one of the main things we wanted to talk about today was how this is all just so crazy <laughs> when we're talking about banning stuff in 2023 mm -hmm. and stuff. So, but like, what can, you know, so this is our art form and this, you know, this is the the place that we want to kind of make our living or make our trade or whatever. And, you know, what can writers do in the face of this? What can maybe people that don't see themselves as political um, or whatever, like, what do you think writers as a kind of a community can do in the face of some of the stuff that we're see we're still seeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big question. I think, I think my my first thought is just around the necessity of for writers to connect for the commu for community. Because um, I think as much as writing is a a very um, solitary process I, I I believe in the in the value and the power of of community to validate to encourage and to and to um to offer a breadth of like vantage points when we're working towards developing a story or whatever writing art form that we're we're, we're endeavoring I think um there's so much value in in um, in having people around that can that can help us not um, withhold the truth from ourselves because I think it's easy to to self edit when we're by ourselves as we create as we write um, and and there's power in being able to to have the community to 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 develop and to work in a sense that will push us to tell the truth, 
to ourselves and to and to the rest of the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can, yeah. yeah, that does make sense. Like kind of like form a united front and be there for each other and support each other's truth telling. Yes. Um, Ashley, I, I I didn't want to butt in. I have a I was gonna have a question for Kate, but did you want did you have something first? No, no, I'm good. Go for it. Well, I was just gonna uh, thank you, Majid, for all that. I put you on the spot for about ten questions there, but um, Kate, I had this um, I had this stat, and it says um, during the 2021-2022 school year in the United States, more than 1,600 books were banned from school libraries. And I know that's a little bit different. The bans affected 138 school districts, 32 states. Um, this is according to Pan America, and then uh, it says Texas and Florida lead the nation in book bans. Um, and going off what Majin said a little bit, where she said the place wanted to ban or burn the book, the book of Negroes, because it was called the book of Negroes. And the only argument against that was that's literally what the actual book in history was called. So we're having a little bit of this like 1984 business where just kind of like actual facts and truth are being kind of attacked and and we're living in this weird space but i'm just like want to go back to just this the role that you feel that you're in as a as a librarian and maybe just starting with the difference that you see in in challenging something that maybe needs to be reconsidered or reorganized but also and not kind of censoring challenging thought or, I mean, I'm, I'm trying not to, uh, I don't want to stretch it into like vaccine misinformation, but I'm just like, you know, what you think your role is in just being the kind of the, you know, the person in between somebody, you know, reading something that is actually bad for them or just like garbage. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's a good question. Libraries, I mean, it's at their heart is are about making sure people have access to information so that they can navigate this world. They can live in a democratic society. So our role as libraries and librarians is to make sure they have access to that, but make sure they have access to also good information. Um, and so if you come up to the desk and ask me about a topic, I will find you well-sourced information on that topic, no matter what it is. And even if I don't personally like the topic, even if I'm like, ooh, like, really, we're going to, okay, but I will find you the good information on that. And that is my role. So I, I try not to censor anything I, you know, any conversations I'm having with a customer that, that come up and, you know, I, I do like to go to the extreme when I'm giving sort of analogies, but a customer comes up and says, hey, I want to find a good website on how to build a bomb. Um, you know, I might have like little like, oh, why are, we, why are we doing that today? But also I'm like, well, okay, let me find you some good sources on this kind of mechanics behind it, because I can't assume that you're not just a writer wanting to know how to how to build a bomb so that it makes sense in your book. Um, so what I try and do, what libraries try and do, is make sure you have access to the information you need and that it is good information. So um, again, the one book that did get removed from libraries, the EPL's shelves, was book that had outdated medical information in it, and we don't want that on our shelves for sure. So we have to navigate that um, role. Also, as a public library, our uh, every library has sort of the collections they collect. No no one public library, no one school library can collect everything. So there has to be limits on what we buy. And we tend to get 
popular titles. So we're not buying textbooks that you get uh, at a university library on medical stuff. We're, we're buying the more popular things. So we always have to decide how that fits with our collection um, and what our customers need from us. Uh, does that make sense and kind of answer your question? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the I, the main thing is that, you know, there there's obviously has to be times when librarians are are dealing with questions about things that they don't necessarily yeah. agree with for a variety totally. of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And as the Freedom to Read Week website says, we all have uh, guaranteed charter rights to to intellectual freedom and to mm -hmm. think think things that we want. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's about the the putting the things into action yeah. uh, or the kind of Anyway, when when thoughts turn to actions that that start to That's harm, I think different. Yeah, but but the actual accessing of information, um, there is a, an old cliche saying that everyone brings up when we're talking about libraries. So we say there's there's something on the shelf to offend everyone. Mm -hmm. um, there are books that, that will offend me in the library for sure. There's topics I'm like, but I know, I I know that it might be useful to someone, and so I'm not going to ask for it to be removed. I'll just choose not to read that myself. And we we often say that when we're having conversations with people that come up it's like yeah you don't want your child to read this book and that is your your right as a parent but you don't have a right to demand other people not let other read this book and so it's always having that conversation as well and a lot of times it is uh, just talking through the an understanding of what libraries are people don't understand why we have all these books and what the purpose of it is and what our role as sort of upholding intellectual freedom is and so it's often just having that dialogue and and um, making sure people understand and um, I was going to mention, um, if people had questions, they could start to type them in and we'll get to them uh, in a little bit. But one did come up that I thought was uh, that was good for Kate. So I'll just read it now. It says, um, for Kate, is dialogue between libraries and publishers or creators to discuss updates when a text is out of date or inaccurate? So yeah. basically, yeah. yeah. Sorry, no, I, it does make sense. And it's a good question. And one I don't actually know the answer to myself. Um, I, I can look into it. If anyone wants to reach out to me, um, I can always uh, follow up on that. I am not a collections librarian. Uh, we do have separate librarians here at this uh, at this system um, who, who deal with publishers much more often. Um, I'm not sure if that is the role of libraries to kind of say, hey, you're, is that a date? But um, perhaps I, I, I honestly don't know, but it is a good question. Um, Lisa, you were, you were somebody that kind of um yeah well i mean you still do this but with with loft um you were somebody that was creating community a lot between um writers but also you were bringing the community together to do things like kind of share art experiences and stuff like that like some some of the stuff that machine was talking about and i'm just wondering what were some of your experiences because i'm just thinking about this idea of you know reading something that blows your mind and then makes you think differently about the world, but in a good way and mm -hmm. what it took to get people there, but how, but along the way, there's probably a lot of other stories of people going to something and being like, I didn't like that. And like, you were somebody that was kind of like in the community a lot. And did you ever have to deal with a lot of things where people were just like, I want to support the arts, but I don't like this, or I don't, you know, and how they kind of, they weren't trying to censor, but maybe just it's at that basic kind of, enjoyment level just so we can kind of separate this idea of maybe they're not calling mm -hmm. the library and trying to get a book challenge but you know because there are these things like Majin was saying if you're not if they didn't get to you then they weren't able to blow your mind and change the way that you write and read and 
and operate in the world. So how many things did it have to go through to, to get to, you know, to us? I, I think that's a really good question. And, and you had asked the question to Jean earlier. And I think as writers and as a community builder, we still have to support those writers that don't blow our minds. Um, mm -hmm. Because um, if we want to have the freedom to read whatever we want and have the world have access to material, that sometimes means material that isn't what I personally or my group of peers, my 30 group of peers or whatever that's in the audience or more, um, isn't blown away by we still need to support those writers and their craft because of course it's like anything else it's not an absolute writing um or performing or anything is never an absolute you're going to walk out um in a crowd and have people you know be weak at the knees from what they experienced and other people who are really like i can't believe i spent that money or i spent mm -hmm. that hour or two um so i think as creators and as writers um, I think it's really important um, that we don't censor um, publicly. I mean, we can censor what we read. Like Kate said, you know, you can walk down a library, um, a row of books, and you can choose not to write. But I think as writers, especially in our own communities, I think it's important that we don't publicly, especially if we're writers of influence, that we don't let I don't know that we're that we're careful not to um disparage those that are sharing our same space with us I think it's really important because I think that's a level of censorship right like if I'm if I'm an invited writer that comes to speak and I decide to use that platform to let people know that I don't think that you know, like I, I think Rupi Carr is one that where people feel okay to say she's a terrible poet because she's successful off of Instagram. Um, and I think people think that that's okay to say that among a group of like maybe university students or something. And I think that's a, 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 that's a form of censorship because, you know, as a, as a respected speaker, perhaps then I'm allowing my, you know, I might be ridiculing people who might have thought that she was an okay poet and then I'm telling you that she's not and so I think that's a form of censorship as well so yeah I think as I think that um it's important to really um be supportive even if the feeling in the room is a disaster because mm -hmm. two we have all had moments of failure ourselves and sometimes that failure leads to growth as a writer as well um if we don't feel like we have to walk away from writing because of the reaction that we got. So, um, yeah, I think, I think unless it leads to, unless what we've experienced leads to an action, a call to action of harm. Um, I don't think that was the question you were asking, you know, did it lead to a call of action of harm? Cause I think that's where, that's where well, the next step is. I guess the the thing that I think the I think one thing I take from that is I think you know whether you like some uh, another writer or you like another writer's work I think for the most part there are, the writers shouldn't be pit against themselves for a variety of different reasons and, and and when it comes to even the the ideas that they they talk about maybe most so 
And it's also because it's really the state that is the, to me, it's the state that's the problem. It's the, it's the government coming in and saying, we're going to make a law that says, if you write about slavery um, and it makes people feel bad, that's now illegal for being, if it makes people feel bad for being white, that's now illegal. Like, so I'm just trying to think now it's like, those are, that's the kind of us versus them situation. But my, my, the, the call to action that I would want is how do you convince the state that that's not going to be that bad of a thing <laughs> to learn new ideas or not new ideas to learn. Now we have to, we have to learn old things, right. To learn mm-hmm. truth. Then the truth will, will actually help us as a society. And you kind of have these, many of these places kind of saying no, because I think in the, you know, in the United States, they had the 1619 project and the, the reaction to the 1619 project was to create the 1776 project. That's literally was like America is great. And I know everything isn't about America, but it's just this idea that that's not really how you counterpoint that idea of, of slavery and, and how it built the United States and just trying to, how do you get, because like, I think I agree with you, Lisa, about if I don't agree with a certain writer for, for a variety of reasons, that, that, that is going to be a thing that drags writers down in, uh, in general, because the real thing that is dragging everybody down writers included, but society down is, well, censorship times 10, whatever's going on now, which is literally banning books and, and making laws that say how, how a book makes you feel is now up for, up for a legal, up for a legal kind of discussion, which is like super, super weird. Um, I will remind people um, they can watch, if they want to watch this recording after just go to our YouTube channel it'll be available there and we'll share the uh oh yeah thanks Ashley and we'll share the the audio recording uh again shortly but uh Ashley did you have any anything I just wanted to say Lisa like I really think you like really nailed it when you said um you know as as long as something's not a call to action for harm because I think that's what the bottom line is here I don't think as writers and as creators I don't think there should be any topic that's necessarily off limits like if someone wants to write a well-researched sensitive you know work about the holocaust or about slavery or these horrible things that have happened in history then that that should be okay and encouraged it's just that the bottom line is that as long as it's not a call to action for harm um then i think yeah like intellectual freedom creative freedom is crucial um but yeah i just think you really nailed it with that Um, And then I just wanted to say too, um, back earlier on, Kate, when you were talking about um, the fact that fear will stop librarians and schools from even purchasing the book, like I just, that's just something that's so scary. And I just, yeah, I hadn't really thought about Mm -hmm. that. And then, you know, because if a book gets banned and it gets publicity, then they, they actually get like some pretty good publicity and then they, the sales go through the roof and stuff. But then if things are getting banned without even, you know, without without even any of that publicity and yeah that's just it's just really scary it um, is scary and again it's, it's not going to happen as much to the big names like they'll always be these big name authors and the books will be available but it's the it's the smaller authors the less well-known the marginalized authors that are going to all of a sudden not there, there's not going to be a, a place for them to be heard because people are just not buying their books and that that is horrible yes yes 
Um, but yeah, I do. I just, I guess, well, we don't have too, too much longer. This has actually flown by. It's been such an interesting <laughs> chat. Um, but I just want to hear, I want to hear everybody, I guess, Majin, you've kind of talked about your favorite band books. Um, and I, I mean, I adore Toni Morrison as well. Um, but yeah, Lisa, what, what's your favorite band book or, or one that you find, um, kind of important? Um, I remember when I was teaching, um, I love to teach, um, Bridge to Terabithia. Um, and I did. Um, and I guess it was challenged. I don't think it was banned, but I guess um, parents objected to um, some of the words um, like pervert and lordy. And I guess there was a see-through blouse in it that offended some of the parents. <laughs> so I, I don't remember that ever coming up in the classroom, but I was surprised um, how many, like how many children's books were banned for bizarre reasons. Um, like they're, and I couldn't find this website again, but like some of the children's books that had animals behave like um, humans and some parents found that too fantastical. Um, so that, but I also just wanted to say before I finish talking that the Canadian government has actually banned books, which I did not know that as a government that we've had books banned um, in our country. So um, starting in 1837, mm -hmm. so did not know that. Truth is trouble. Mm -hmm. Truth is trouble. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. And just add a quick cursory look at Bridge to Terabithia. One of the reasons was that because it contains an elaborate fantasy world that might lead to confusion. <laughs> That's like, yeah, those, what? Yeah, we don't want to confuse our children at all. <laughs> there is actually uh, the American Library Association keeps a list of the top banned or challenged books um, every year. So they put out every year the, the top 10. Um, and yeah, British Terabithia was in 2003 challenged uh, because of occult Satanism. So, oh yeah. wow, it's been it's been uh, banned for many reasons. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There's always something. <laughs> and what about you, Kate? What's your favorite banned book? Uh, I mean, I I like a lot of books that have been challenged uh, over the years, but one of my favorites, just as a as a concept, and one of the most uh, challenged books actually out there, is uh, a children's book called Untango Makes Three. Uh, it is a picture book, and it is about two penguins raising a baby named Tango, uh, a baby penguin named Tango, and they're uh, two male penguins at the zoo. And it's it's based on a true story, two male penguins who raised a, a baby penguin themselves. And it gets challenged almost every year by people all over, definitely all over America. Um, although I believe I did read somewhere that it was challenged and removed from um, Calgary Catholic schools uh, libraries at one point um, in the past, like uh, 10 years ago and for the reason that there were two males raising it that was the only reason I believe so uh, we do have a there was a, a blog that got put out uh, by EPL of, of children's books that have been challenged and they have the reasons why and and when they've been challenged and all oh, that's great a great list um, of children's books that everyone that should read the, <laughs> that, that was number 50 on the list of 50 most banned books in America yeah. was the tango book tango the, there's a I remember studying children's literature in school and one of the first things you learn is for the first like 150 years of children's literature, children's literature existed to like scare children into <laughs> submission. And it wasn't, it was maybe until like the 20th, like the late or whatever, the mid 20th century when people were like, maybe kids might just want to like stuff. Um, that's, that's an odd concept. Uh, we also didn't have almost any time to get to any of this, but it's, it's, 
it's worth noting because once again, I think that this idea of ban like literally banning books or like challenging fine, but the, the banning so many of these books on the top 50 list are deal with queer kids, queerness, uh, trans kids, interracial families, interracial yeah. couples, interracial relationships. Um, and once again, it's, it's kind of, it's 2023 and we could have probably just spent the whole time just talking about that. Yeah. And, um, like what's the number, the list here. So bluest eye, number four, number two, all boys aren't blue. Um, it contains mention of sex, masturbation, and profanity, making it the number two banned book of the 2022 school year. Now, once again, this list I was looking at is from schools, but that's almost makes it worse. Um, and number one, gender queer, a memoir. Um, once again, talking about like literally banning somebody's actual true story. Some, you know, um, Especially I always, after, yeah. Especially after hearing Majin um, talk about how profound reading a character and an experience was um, for the first time in a book, you know? Uh, yeah. It's, it's you, blocking up people from being it's able blocking to up, yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, that's and the gorgeousness of reading books. It is. Um, one of the gorgeousnesses of reading a book <laughs> is when you you know you can identify with a character um and so to be able to ban you know and it's the fear right it's the fear it that is. you might introduce an idea or a lifestyle that's too scary um yeah. but it is interesting to look at those lists through the years and see because the the themes and which ones what seems to be the changes. fear at the moment changes yeah. and so yeah right now it definitely is anything to do with um trans um yeah lgbtq it, it that is definitely one of the top ones in the past few years yeah um, it used to, yeah before it was like you know religious you know or like or like, sa like yeah satanism yeah. Or sorcery, sorcery. Yeah. <laughs> irreverent to god and then mm -hmm. racial issues I have a friend who he he grew up during the satanic panic and he played Dungeons and Dragons and he lived in Hinton and it was it was banned from being played in the school he couldn't he wasn't allowed to play it at in Hinton so he just everyone just came over to his house because his parents were cool with it um, but yeah it was he lived through that and it's like it wasn't that long ago um, yeah, yeah. Pat, fear fear is another the the big word of the another big word of the day. Um, yeah, I mean, Toni Morrison doesn't need me to stick up for her ever, but I just like, I can't imagine, I just can't imagine just not reading those books that I read and, uh, just how kick-ass of a writer she was, is. Um, so, you know, like I said, she doesn't need me to stick up for her, but like, you know, kudos to her for having two books on the top 50, probably every <laughs> single year and pissing right? people off, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know that you know it's it's one of those things right if you become big then that's a thing right it'll be it's nice to kind of piss people off but when you're just trying to get something published or something in a magazine or or whatever like the fact that these kinds of thoughts trickle down to people like that that maybe they run a a, a literary magazine or a contest or something that's the kind of you know the the kind of poisonous kind of censorship that you want to keep out of um you know our our world for writers, because then you're definitely going to prevent the kind of grassroots from, from encountering stories even earlier than having to be like, you know, get to the, the Tony Morrison's of the world, which are like the kind of cream of the crop. But um, 
yeah, we are we are just at one o'clock, and uh, I just want to thank everybody for for joining us and and hanging out and watching. We got a few good questions, and people are asking about the recording, so it will be available later. And um, and thank you very much to our speakers, this panel. This was so fun. It was it was nice to do this during the day and kind of like chat. Like I said, I think this this whole thing is ridiculous, and and um, the fact that it's still happening, but it's important to kind of talk about. Um, just talk about it in general, but just also talk about the fact that this is not a, a foreign concept. There are there are active kind of measures in play, and um, you know it's our job to kind of shout those out at the very least. So, Majine um, and Kate and Lisa, thank you very much, and Ashley, thank you for co-hosting here. And, and anything else to wrap? No, um, thank you all so much too. I just wanted to just close with one quick thing. I just had wondered if you guys had seen the um, Margaret Atwood put out a version of The Handmaid's Tale that's unburnable. And I just think it's so cool because she's just like, she's just such a cool woman. And here, I'll just put a link, but it's made of all fi like um, fireproof materials and it was all, all the sales of it have gone to um, go to PEN America's like kind of Fight, like to support free expression and stuff. And I just think it's awesome and she's awesome. And there's a lot of people fighting this good fight, including all of you. And so thank you so much for, for this conversation. And yeah, I mean, it's fertile ground. We could probably talk for a whole other hour, <laughs> but um, yeah, mm -hmm. we'll hope, hopefully we can all chat again. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Thanks so much. Have a good, good day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.